Well, good morning and welcome to this local production of Divine Mercy Radio. I am Bill Gent. Our program is called Treasures of Faith. We want to thank you for joining us on this little cooler Tuesday morning. Hope that you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving weekend and gave thanks uh, to our wonderful God. I'm joined by Father Ben Berinti. He's the pastor of Immaculate Conception Parish in Melbourne Beach. And he'll be joining me each Tuesday during Advent as we explore the season of Advent with St. Luke the Evangelist. Father Ben, thanks for joining me on Treasures of Faith. Thank you, Bill. Great to be here with you today. Well, I know, Father, that uh, here we are. We are approaching the season of Advent. And for most of us as Catholics, we think that Advent is just the lead-up time to Christmas. And it's a time to be busy, and certainly we think in terms of preparing for the birth of our Lord, and uh, obviously to be looking forward to the second coming. But Advent has kind of been lost, I think, in many ways in American Catholicism. Can you kind of help us understand a little bit about Advent and its importance to us uh, as Catholic Christians? You know, one uh, spiritual writer had said that uh, because Advent has been lost somewhere between Thanksgiving, Turkey, and uh, pre-Christmas bargain shopping, (laughs) we have, in fact, lost really one of the richest uh, seasons of the year. Mm. And I think one of the things that happens is, uh, you know, you see a little change of color, you get the wreath and the candles, and you sing O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and then you're, you know, you're busy about other things for, for the season. And I think sometimes, even in our own uh, parish communities, we've we've sort of bowed out of Advent ourselves. In other words, we have the liturgical trappings, but we don't want to add too much or try to make the season come alive because we feel like we're competing with other things mm-hmm. that are you know, going on in people's lives. And there, there is a certain truth to that. But I think what we miss out then is that another spiritual writer had said that if we miss Advent— then we are going to miss Christmas. Mm. And I really, I really mm. do believe that in my own heart, my own spiritual life, is that the, the themes of the season, the scriptures, I mean, it's just so rich about life mm-hmm. and about the challenges that we face, not just during this time of year, but all year round. And so I think that the sense of preparing for Christmas, uh, if we, in a sense, if we don't do Advent well, we're not going to mm. really do Christmas well. So I've, in my own uh, life and ministry, especially as a pastor, I'm, I've been all about trying to, in a sense, revive uh, Advent within a parish community and to, um, and to really try to bring back uh, almost, um, you know, we do these kinds of things for spiritual renewal during Lent because we think, oh, Lent is the time. And we also have six weeks versus three and a half weeks, uh, you know, to deal with it. But I think in many ways, uh, Advent is a time when there can be so much spiritual richness that we can offer uh, our communities and our people. And so I'm hoping that in some way our time together these uh, Tuesdays will be able to to do that for uh, our listeners, uh, you know, as well. Well, I think for a lot of Catholics, I think we're conflicted during the Advent season because there's a penitential aspect to it. I know many parishes 
what they do during Advent is have penance services. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, as we read the scriptures, we're reading about this joyful anticipation. And sometimes those things seem to be in conflict when in reality they ought to be working together. Right. I mean, I think, you know, sometimes people think of uh, Advent and even parish leaders as, well, this is the mini Lent. Mm -hmm. And and there are those uh, penitential overtones to it, but there's there's so much more really there. Uh, I mean, in a way, it's about giving birth. Uh, which is what we celebrate at Christmas. So this this lead up time is all of the things that that speak to how how God is being born uh, again in our lives. Um, the writer Megan McKenna, who I, I love to read her stuff, she calls Advent the guard dog that mm. is rousing us from our sleep. Mm. So she kind of has this image of a guard dog who's barking, barking, barking to say, "Hey, wake up, be alert. There's an intruder." Mm. But McKenna says this intruder, however, is the one that we're waiting for. Mm. This is the one we're waiting for who's in our midst and we don't want to miss him. So mm-hmm. so wake up. Mm. So I think everything about the Advent season really is about that alertness and attentiveness. Um, it's not so much about uh, you know, browbeating penitence. It's just about greater awareness, mm-hmm. uh, being in some sense more alive. And I think that's where sort of all the typical cultural Christmas mayhem can come together Uh, with the spirit of Advent is, I think, purportedly all of this Christmas activity is about life and it's about enthusiasm, excitement, and Mm -hmm. joy. And and that's really what Advent is about. So how can we do those pre-Christmas things, but as Catholics, with what we know about Advent and the coming of Mm -hmm. Christ? I don't Mm -hmm. think they're opposite ends of the pole. I think they are things that mesh very well together. But it's how to see the joy of the season that's swirling around out there through the eyes of Christian joy, Christian hope, uh, you know, so that that guard dog barking to say, hey, wake up in the Mm. middle of all this activity we're doing and recognize the one who's coming toward us. And I see this also, Father, as the wisdom of the church giving us these liturgical seasons. And if you missed Advent last year, you have an opportunity to really regard it as very special this year. I mean, every year it comes back around and it's the wisdom of the churches, you know, the Lord knows that some of us, it just takes us a very long time to kind of catch on to what these seasons really ought to mean to us. Right. There was a, um, a liturgical theologian who uh, once uh, kind of was talking about all of the seasons of the church. And what he said was, he said, you know, the, the seasons of the church didn't just sort of drop down out of the sky. Oh, let's have a Lent. Uh, we need something to do before Christmas. Let's have an Advent. He said they really grew up out of people's experiences struggling with the Word of God, struggling in their lives, asking questions of God, living this faith day in and day out. And so the kinds of questions we ask in Advent, in Lent, what we celebrate during Pentecost, these these are questions of our heart and soul. Mm. And what the church in its wisdom then says, it gives us a way to to wrestle with these questions, to celebrate them liturgically Mm. and and spiritually. And so, you know, Advent isn't just something that's kind of like a blanket laid over top of us. If you really look at it, and what I hope we'll find out from uh, some of the things exploring the Gospel of Luke is that these are questions we're asking about life, and the church says, hey, here's a space, here's a time to really concentrate. Not that we only ask these questions, you know, during the month of November and December, but here's a time to give to these issues in your life. And that's, and as you said, we can come back year and year again. And why is that important liturgically? And even when we repeat scripture readings in the churches, 
because I'm a different person mm. this year mm. than I was mm. last year. Different things are happening in my life, in your life. And so as the wisdom of Isaiah comes to us in Advent 2018, it's speaking to me and you mm. in a different way than Isaiah spoke to me in 2017 or 2014. You know, most Catholics will talk about how they lament the secularization of Christmas, and we can all talk about that. But in reality, Father, again, the wisdom of the church is Advent is a way for us to kind of protect what we truly believe about Christmas. And, and Father, you know this. In other cultures, when people celebrate, they celebrate over periods of time. In America, we do one day and then we move on, you know, to the next thing. You know, I mean, the day after Christmas, people start pulling down their Christmas decorations. You yeah, know? because they've been up since October. That's I mean, that's, that's, that's part of the issue is, yeah. I mean, in some ways, I think, you know, the whole business about the secularity, but also, you know, what people talk about is the commercialism of, you know, of Christmas. Commercialism to me is not really the problem. Because the reality is, you and I, we live in a commercial That's society. Exactly. This is a commercial culture. Mm -hmm. Whatever the season is, this is, this is how we make our, our life. I think the problem is, it's the lack of contemplation, mm. awareness, attentiveness. Mm. And as you were saying, you know, part of the issue for us culturally is we're, we're, we're not only giving a day to something, we want everything to jump ahead. Mm -hmm. You know, we wanted Christmas to be over last week. Mm -hmm. Or... Um, let's can't we just all cram this together? And sometimes mm. I find that even in pastoral life, um, people within the parish community saying, "Well, uh, well, couldn't we do like those two sacraments together, just you know, just to kind of get them out of the way, <laughs> make and them more convenient? It would just be a little bit more convenient." <laughs> so I think the wisdom of the church, again, what Advent provides us is not to dispense with all of these things around us, but how to be more aware, more mm. attentive. Um, taking a little more time to let these things grow um, within us during this season rather than just rushing from one thing uh, mm. to the other. And mm. I think uh, the person that we're going to meet in the Gospel of Luke today is, is going to teach us a lesson a little bit about that. So it's that um, awareness and attentiveness that can happen, um, and the church gives us tools, I think, to be able to do that. And I think the readings during Advent are— so well chosen because they do give us that opportunity to uh, think about the idea of preparation but it's over a period of weeks father as you said it's only four weeks but in a sense those readings are so rich and what we're going to look at of course we're going to be going into the year of Luke we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1, and over these next four weeks, we're looking at these various questions that were posed by some significant biblical figures. Right. Uh, what we're going to try to do in each of these weeks is Luke, you know, is the uh, consummate storyteller mm. uh, in, in the scriptures. I mean, this is... Uh, kids have been coloring pictures of Luke's stories for time immemorial at yes. religious education. You know, the Good yes. Samaritan, the widow's might, mm -hmm. consummate storyteller. And that's really how he begins, you know, his, um, his gospel account. And so what he presents to us in the opening chapter or so is four great figures. And each of those characters, those figures, pose, I think, a very powerful question. It was powerful in their own life. But I think it's powerful for each of us, too, as we kind of make our way through our life, not only in the season of Advent. So what we hope to take a look at is to, to, to look at Luke and 
to each week take a look at one of these characters and to see how they wrestle with the question they pose and then, you know, what that might might be able to say uh, to us as well. And unfortunately, you know, the way the calendar goes, too, is that uh, we say four weeks of Advent, but this year we actually get three weeks and two days. Mm-hmm. Last year we had three weeks and one day. It was short. I remember we, we finished Mass, the last Mass on yes. Sunday, and I was one of those crazy pastors who refused <laughs> to put the Christmas decorations up in church until that Mass was over. And, Your uh, environment committee so, was not very But you know what? Everybody you. came together, and in three hours yes. the place was decorated and we still had three hours of breathing time before the first mass of Christmas Eve. So, so taking time, and I think um, that's, that's what we're going to learn from the first character we're going to meet uh, today. And, you know, just reflecting on the, uh, I think, the blessing of the Advent season, when I was an evangelical father, we, we never really had a great appreciation for liturgy, let alone a liturgical season. And we had so overly individualized our faith, we didn't experience it in community in the same way that we as Catholics have that opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I think any season of the year, uh, but certainly during this time of the year, is the really the strength of being able to see what God has in store, what God is trying to birth in each of us and in our own uh, communities and families, is we're, we're doing this together. Mm-hmm. You know, so much, I think, of the general spiritual journey of anybody in our culture today is people feel like they're so isolated, yes. so uh, alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet the beauty of, of our whole Catholic faith is, no, we, yeah, you're struggling, I'm struggling, this person has a story, that person has a story, but we come together mm-hmm. and, we, and we make a witness uh, in, in doing that. We take strength from that. So participating, you know, especially in Advent liturgies, I mean, if people are looking to come back to church or invite a friend to come for the first time or a family member, I mean, th- these are, any time is a great time. But these are really rich times because the church is, uh, you know, is living its liturgical life fully. The music, the scripture, uh, the, the uh, environment. I mean, everything is just so, I think, powerful that can really touch hearts. So that, that's a plug to invite the person who maybe hasn't been for a while. Beautiful time to come mm-hmm. and engage. And there are so many people who at this time of the year find themselves alone find themselves disconnected, Mm -hmm. and if they could only, and I'm sure the Spirit of God is reaching out to them, whether they're listening or not, and of course we'll be talking about listening a little bit here over the next four weeks, but it's the whole idea, they have this wonderful opportunity to experience what they're looking for in a faith community, and it's amazing that so many people just cannot see that Mm -hmm. for the opportunity it truly is. Yeah, I mean... and it's not to be critical of any of us because we're all in this position, whether we're ministering in the church itself or participants in a faith community, is that, you know, very often I've often said, I mean, I've often said to people is that, you know, I, I really believe that in our heart of hearts, we are, most of us are looking for the same things. We're looking for something rich and deep and meaningful. And then I say, but most of the time where we're looking for that is in the wrong place. <laughs> yes. Here is the place, even with all of our foibles and our mess and our mucking things up and, and not living the gospel we proclaim. I mean, all of that is part of the package, too. But 
here at least we're trying to do these things. Mm-hmm. We're trying to, to, to live faithfully. We're trying to love deeply. We're trying to forgive with honesty. We're trying to, to bind up wounds. I mean, all the things that people are looking for, this is who we are and this is what we try mm. to do. Mm. Where else are you going to find it? Mm. And I mm. think that's the great challenge of, of coming, at least coming back and trying it, mm. trying to see if this place, this church, that says it's about the deepest things of my heart because it's about God and God is at the deepest center of my heart. Um, shouldn't I at least try to look there? Mm. Because I'm not going to find it in media. I'm not uh-huh. going to find it, you know, in in movies, and I'm not going to find it uh, in commercialism. I mean, these things have their own stories to tell. Uh, so, where where am I going to look for? what I really believe I need for myself, my children, my family, people are hurting. So uh, we hope that that's, that's what people find when they come to our communities. So that, of course, puts a lot of pressure on leadership within church communities that we better have our act together yes. and, be, and be giving people and putting out things that are not just going through the ropes. You know, oh, it's Advent, so put out some purple and light a candle. No, how can we help mm-hmm. people really enter deeply? So hopefully we're going to play our part. Yes. Here in Divine Mercy Radio to to welcome people into the great, great questions of this time of year. Well, you're listening to Treasures of Faith, and Father Ben Barenti is with me, and he'll be with me each Tuesday in Advent, and we're looking at the liturgical season of Advent through the lens of St. Luke, the evangelist. And Father Ben, tell us a little bit about Zechariah, the first individual that we meet in Luke's Gospel. Well, that is the first person uh, in chapter 1. So today we're, we're kind of perusing Luke chapter 1, uh, verses 5 to 23, sort of picking our way uh, through there. So I would encourage people not only to look at that passage today, but between now and next Tuesday is each day. Maybe just look at that and, and allow that, that passage to come to life for you. So the very first person that St. Luke puts on the stage for us in preparing for the birth of Christ is Zechariah. And I think one of the things that we see in the opening uh, passage about Zechariah is that we're introduced to a husband and eventually a wife who have been crying out in desperation to God for a long time. Mm -hmm. Now, we find out later on as Mm -hmm. the story goes on, they're old and barren. And of course, as we know, in the time of Zachariah and Elizabeth, to have no children was a death sentence Mm -hmm. for many cultural Mm -hmm. reasons. So I think one of the things I like to remind people when you encounter characters in the scriptures is, okay, so we're encountering them. Okay, here's Zechariah. We meet him on his way to prayer in the temple and doing his duties there. But Zechariah has a story long before this day in the temple. And when he's crying out to the Lord today because he and his wife have no children, and they're old and aged. He's crying out. He's been doing this for a long time. And so the weight of this prayer that he brings mm. to the temple that day is a long prayer, a weighty prayer. So not unlike most of us, you know, the prayers that we sometimes bring before the Lord, they are things that are heavy on our heart for periods of, of time. So we meet him. The story opens up very interestingly. The words that are used is in the days of Herod, king of Judea. Literally, from the Greek, it says, it came about. 
And uh, when you read Luke, that's sort of Luke's storytelling once upon a time. Mm -hmm. He likes to use that expression. It came about. Mm. But one of the things that, that Luke is setting up for us here is the sense that what we know is about to be a spectacular event is occurring in the middle of a very ordinary day of activity. Mm. Zechariah is a priest. He goes to the temple to do his duties. He's lamenting about he and his wife Elizabeth's issues. This is just a regular sort of day, but in the midst of this very ordinary day, it came about in the middle of doing your thing for the day, God shows up and crucial things are about to happen. Mm. And that's the way... Mm. You know, God works. So here they are, barren, advanced in years. And it came about while he was serving as an order of priests. It's Zechariah's lucky day because by lot he is chosen to go into the Holy of Holies and to present the incense to God. The mm. very place where Jews believe the presence of God existed. Mm-hmm. And, and the deal for priests was you got to go into the Holy of Holies one time mm-hmm. in your entire life years of service. Mm-hmm. So I think there's something beautiful about the way Luke sets up that that God just likes to show up in the middle of ordinary activities. And so kind of jumping a little bit ahead of where we are now is, you know, talking about all of this Christmas activity and Advent is God can show up in yes. the middle of the wrapping the presents and going mm-hmm. to Marshalls and buying the food at Publix and all mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Um, but God has some special things in mind. So Zachariah is chosen to go into the most sacred place in the temple, the Holy of Holies. It's a a privileged honor. Usually, again, happens only once in a lifetime. So it's a big day for Zechariah, and it's about to get even bigger because we know what's going to take place. So the angel appears and says to him, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Luke chapter 1, verse 13 to 14. Your prayer has been heard. So Again, the context is not just some prayer that Zechariah is offering right, this day. day. This is the weight of his life mm. um, and he and Elizabeth's life. Mm. And finally, the prayer is heard. And then the angel kind of waxes a little poetically in verses 15 to 17, repeating a kind of a major prophecy that comes from the prophet Malachi, mm-hmm. uh, chapter 4. So in a sense... We're meeting Zechariah. He is receiving the best news he could have possibly hoped for. And as it turns out, it's more than he was able to handle. (laughs) So Zechariah comes on the scene, and now comes the question that he poses. So the angel Gabriel appears, and Zechariah says, Okay, how can I know this? How can I know this? And that's where I think we want to take our attention next is you know, explore a little bit about this question that Zachariah is posing, because in some ways it's counterintuitive mm-hmm. to everything that has just taken place mm-hmm. in front of him, mm-hmm. where he is, all that's happening. And then he says, how can I know this? Mm. And, you know, his and you said this, Father, you mentioned you alluded to this. His life was that prayer. In a sense, they, their whole lives were woven through with this crying out to God and then he has this uh, experience with the angel, and he doesn't believe, you know, initially. And, and I'm thinking how human he is. Here he is, a priest. So there is this expectation that he's going to be really close to God. 
And yet, in reality, he's just like anybody else. Though he has a very prominent role, he gets to do something very special on this given day. He must have been excited about that, but he had no idea that he was on top of that. He was also going to receive this life-changing message. Yeah, this is the, I mean, one of the great ironies, and there are many in this uh, story, is that, okay, as you mentioned, he's a priest. Okay, he's been doing this for a long time. You don't get to go into the Holy of Holies once in your priesthood. Today, he finally gets picked, and we don't really know from Luke's account, like, how long has he been waiting for this, you know, supreme moment? He goes into, again, what Jews believe was the absolute presence of God, because in the Holy of Holies sits Mm -hmm. the Ark of the Covenant, Mm -hmm. where the wings of the two angels atop that Ark touch. This is is the footstool Mm -hmm. of, of God. And in the midst of that, an angel appears to him, gives him a message, and yet the first thing he says is, well, how am I going to be sure this is really, (laughs) really true? There's something kind of uh, wacky about that, but at the same time, when we sort of get down to the human level, you and I have been in very similar positions Mm -hmm. where God has been manifesting God's self to us in all kinds of ways, knocking on our doors, throwing open our windows, and we're saying, yeah, but is that really like, how am I going to know for sure? Mm. So the beauty of Zechariah's question is it's a, it's a potent human question, and that is what Luke is going to show us over these next four weeks as mm. we meet these multiple characters is their questions are our questions. And after we kind of explore Luke a little bit more in his, his situation there, we'll see, hey, how are you and I asking that question in our own spiritual lives? I, I love that story in Mark chapter 9 where the man says to Jesus, Lord, I believe, but please help my unbelief. You Correct. know, I love that one because we can all identify with that. You know, and every one of us, you know, even if we have a great love for Christ, you know, we're still human beings. And I love that passage where it says in Psalms, the Lord knows we're but dust. You know, I mean, we're but dust. The Lord knows that. He's so patient with us. And yet I see Zachariah and I'm envisioning him there and having this experience and my expectation as a believer is, oh, this guy is going to be the reason. I've been waiting for this. You know, I have in faith known that at some point you were going to come through, Lord. And in reality, for many of us, Father, I think many of us pray with no expectation that God is ever going to answer our prayer, especially that one we've been laboring with for so long. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really a great point because I think over and over again in the scriptures, especially one of the things I think to learn from these characters in Luke and in Matthew is where they're a little bit different from us is despite Zachariah's surprise here, Mary, Zachariah, Elizabeth, these people lived in a culture and a faith that did truly expect God would show up and do mm. things. Mm. And I mm. think that is not our flavor. No. We mouth it. Yep. We sing it. We say a prayer about it. But mm-hmm. I don't think we have the depth of expectation that God will come through. So they have this because it's so very much a part of the world in which they're living. And yet at the same time, they're still not, you know, they're still not so sure. I, I kind of liken the image of the the faith that you and I live that you were just referring to it's it's kind of like okay so as a kid I'm in a swimming pool they put the life jacket on me 
So I'm floating there, but I still want to keep my hand on the edge of the swimming mm -hmm. pool because I just don't trust that that life jacket is going to actually mm -hmm. support me when I'm in the water. Mm -hmm. And I think this is what we do with God is, okay, God, mm -hmm. I'm going to give you the trust. You're throwing me the lifeline, but I'm still holding on because mm -hmm. I'm not quite sure. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not quite sure. And so that's where Zachariah comes. And I think the experience of Zachariah is one that we have too. It's that this news that you've been praying for, waiting for, the thing that you've been hoping for, desiring for, it seems too good to mm. be true. Mm. In a sense, overwhelmed, not so much by doubt, I think Zechariah is overwhelmed by goodness. Mm. And I think that can happen to us mm. is, you know, um, I shared with parishioners this morning that, you know, something good comes and sort of our nature and our culture says, okay, where's the bad thing? Yep, yep. When, when, when's, the, mm -hmm. when's the disaster coming? Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm being set up here. I'm being set up here. Or we have, like Zachariah, we bring so much baggage of disappointment and things that seem to be going well once and then they turn sour. All of that's like mm -hmm. in us. Mm -hmm. And then this good thing comes into our life and we distrust the goodness and, of it. and I'm sure for Zechariah and Elizabeth, they had friends. I'm sure Zechariah had his priest buddies, and they all had children, you know, but this he had this expectation, this is never going to happen for us, even at that point, because the scripture says they had they were older. So they perhaps had pretty much given up on it, though they're still lamenting their situation. And so, again, I think so often... We underestimate the goodness of God, and it's reading stories like that, that, this that remind us, especially in during this season, how good God truly is. Absolutely, and I think the challenge for us, like it was for Zachariah, is precisely that. Sometimes it's hard for us to get beyond our past hurts, our past disappointments, into this new level of, of trust. And so Zachariah's question is, you know, how can, how can I know this? That's a good one for us. Well, Father Ben, let's ex, uh, explore this uh, story a little further on the other side of the break. You're listening to Treasures of Faith on Divine Mercy Radio. Well, welcome back to Treasures of Faith. I'm joined by Father Ben Berinti. He's the pastor of Immaculate Conception. And we're re reflecting on the liturgical season of Advent, focusing on Luke chapter 1 and the story of Zechariah. So, Father, where did we leave Zechariah now? He's had this, uh, this amazing experience with an angel who delivers him a message about the birth of a child. He's been praying about this with his wife for many, many years. His response is, well, how am I going to know that this is real? Kind of putting it in my own my own words, uh, and, and what transpires after that? Well, when you take a look um, at the original Greek translation of the, the question that he poses, I think it's, it's interesting. In English, it would read something like, according to what can I know this? So in other words, what kind of a special assurance? What kind of sign, confirmation? In other words, the surprise itself is not enough. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, according to what? according to what I've known before, uh, according to something that somebody else said. So it, that kind of deepens the question a little bit. So the response, the answer that Gabriel um, gives to Zechariah is that 
Gabriel identifies himself in the passage as standing before God. I am Gabriel who stand before God. How can I know this? Gabriel's response is presence, Mm. pure presence of God. Recall Moses at the burning bush. Mm -hmm. Who are you? I am pure presence. And then Gabriel shows God's power and presence immediately by taking away Zechariah's voice. Mm -hmm. So the initial response of the angel Gabriel, the name Gabriel meaning God has shown himself strong, is presence. Mm. And what's, again, sort of ironic about the whole scene is here is Zechariah, priest of the Lord, in what he believed to be the supreme presence of God, and then an angel of God appears, and he's not sure Mm -hmm. if this is really happening. Mm -hmm. So according to what can I know this? Uh, One of the early theologians of the church, Origen, was a northern African, lived in uh, kind of the middle of the third century. When he was reflecting and writing about this particular passage from Luke's gospel, he says there's a wonderful... Um, a wonderful contrast that's set up within Luke's story. Right before Zechariah is struck dumb, there is the prophecy from the angel that this son, who is to be named John, is going to be a voice, Mm. a voice crying out in the wilderness, a voice announcing glad tidings, a voice speaking of the presence of God coming into our world. And almost immediately afterwards, Zechariah goes silent. So there's this juxtaposition Mm -hmm. of your son is going to have a great voice, but there's going to be a period of of silence, a period of questioning and searching and and digging deeper into what's the meaning of all this that's just taken place. So when John is born, literally the silence is broken. Mm -hmm. It's broken for Zechariah, who now begins to be able to speak. And the silence is broken because John will now become the voice crying out in the wilderness. So the result is, is that Zechariah is definitely chastened for Mm -hmm. asking his question. But I think what's important is that he's not abandoned. The the promise isn't taken away. Oh, bad Zechariah, you you Mm -hmm. questioned Mm -hmm. God. You had your chance. You had your chance and it's slipping away. Mm -hmm. No, Zechariah, Elizabeth, they're not abandoned. The promise isn't withdrawn. But what it does is it puts Zechariah into a position now of reflection. Mm. He has a lot of time on his hands. He, in a sense, has to go into a kind of a seclusion because he can't function as a priest of the Lord anymore, and he also had his one shot into the Holy Holy, so that's not going to happen again. Mm -hmm. So Elizabeth, who we will meet in a future uh, conversation, she goes into her time of seclusion, nine months of pregnancy, but this is also Zachariah's nine months of pregnancy. Mm -hmm. This is his time of reflection and solitude because he now has to give birth, not to the physical presence of John as Elizabeth will do, but he has to give birth to this God who surprised him, came into his life, and he has this time now in quiet and solitude to reflect on what just happened. Mm. What's, What's the meaning of this? what is what is God? Yes, I got the answer. We have the child, but you know what? We're old. Mm-hmm. How are we even going to be able to do this? All of these kinds of questions, Zechariah is going to ponder those in silence, 
and allow God to bring to birth the meaning of this event. And I think that's one of the great challenges often for us is we have many things that happen in our lives, but we never stick around long enough to plumb what is the mm. meaning of it. We just move from one thing yes. to the other uh, without plumbing the depths of meaning. So what appears to most people, I would say probably 80% of people who are going to preach on this passage, they're going to wag their finger at Zechariah. Mm -hmm. They're going to say he was a person of no faith. Mm -hmm. He was being punished by God. Mm -hmm. I would tend to, you're missing the point of the whole scenario because it's not set up that way. Zechariah is placed in a position. He has to, in a sense, Elizabeth's got to do the work of baby birthing. He has to do the discipline now of bringing and reflecting upon meaning mm. of what God is doing. And that is the Advent season That's for us. That's the beauty of Advent. That's the beauty of Advent, you if know, we Father, take advantage of it. You know, as a priest also, of course, as we've already mentioned, this is an older couple. So it appears that just simply because of their age, it would be impossible for them to produce a child. And yet, as a priest, he should have been perhaps reflecting on all of the miraculous births that have taken place all throughout the history of Israel. You know, the, the birth of Isaac, you know, the birth of little Samuel. There are evidences of these miraculous births, which just reminds us that perhaps over that nine months, he did have an opportunity to reflect on some of those stories I mean, Samuel was all about his mother Hannah in the tabernacle with Eli, remember? Yes. And that whole story. So he has an opportunity. And, and, and this, when you think about our opportunity during Advent, is, I mean, obviously most of us are not going to lose our voices, but we do have this wonderful opportunity to reflect on the miracle of the incarnation, reflect on our experience of faith, and how we can be enriched even as we're going to the mall or wrapping a present or whatever we are doing. Right. I think the reminder for us is that, again, in the middle of ordinary things, something extraordinary happens to Zechariah and Elizabeth. But then you, you just, the, again, the surprise is just not enough. The, the good news is just not enough. It's, okay, how do I now take that into my life? Now, our Advent season doesn't last nine months, so we don't have all that time to reflect that uh, Zechariah did. But we are given time to be able to do that. The question is whether we're willing to, in a sense, well, what I like to say is assume the position of Zechariah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the other interesting things that I've often thought about this passage, um, and it's very much about your references to all these other places in the Word of God that Zechariah had to revisit um, where these promises are being proclaimed. Zechariah, as a priest of the temple, was primarily concerned with rituals of the temple. Mm. As a person of faith in his time, like everyone, Zechariah certainly would have been schooled in the scriptures, the word of God. Mm -hmm. But as a priest, that was not his primary concern. Right. His primary concern was going through the motions of mm -hmm. the faith. Mm -hmm. And then he has this experience of going through the motions of the faith where suddenly the power of the word of God comes to life in the person of the angel. The angel's references are to ancient mm. scriptures coming true. So what I like to think is that Zechariah had to take a break from the formalities of mm -hmm. religious activities of his day and insert himself back into the word of mm -hmm. God where suddenly 
oh my gosh, I'm not the only one that promises are made to and have been fulfilled. Here's Hannah, here's Malachi, here's Isaiah. And that's what the church is giving us during Advent, is giving us these beautiful, powerful scriptures to say, hey, let's, not that we don't, you know, we still go to Mass and we do our adoration and we say our prayers, but let's get our, our hearts and souls and eyes and minds into this powerful Word of God because that's where what God has in store for each mm. of us is going to come to life. Uh, so I, th- I think what I see happening to Zechariah is, okay, you can't perform the priestly functions. You can't perform the, you know, the activities of faith. Here's some time to sit with the Word of God mm. and allow it to come to life. And we have so many uh, resources, you know, as, as Catholics during this time of year, uh, the little blue books, you know, a paragraph yes. to read. Mm-hmm. Um, go on to, uh, you know, uh, Daily Bread or... Uh, Matthew Kelly has his best Matthew advent Kelly, ever. I mean, we're, we're, whatever, not, sure. we're not talking about spending necessarily <clears throat> hours in contemplation or reflection. Five minutes. Mm. 10 minutes can make all the difference in the Mm. world. And what I think people will find is once you get a little sample of five minutes every day for four weeks, you're going to say like five minutes isn't enough for me. Right. I I, I need more than that. Mm. So there's lots of resources. And I I think, again, as you encounter these um, these Advent scriptures, which are available to us everywhere Mm -hmm. on your phone, uh, wherever they happen to be, is you don't even have to consume the whole thing. You know, Mondays, I read the first reading, and that's all I work with. Tuesdays, I read the psalm response. Mm-hmm. I take a line out of the gospel on Wednesdays, and we don't have to, like, it's not like the Thanksgiving buffets we just came off of where, <laughs> where we're now delirious from you <laughs> yeah, know, right. tryptophan. <laughs> right. is, um, just consume little mm. tiny, uh, tiny pieces of it. So uh, what I love about this is that Zachariah says, how can I know this? And I think that's often our question. You know, it's a question I think that we have asked and will continue to ask, you know, whenever we sense some movement of God in our life or when we're seeking something from God. You know, every one of us comes now to this time of year with many, many different things uh, on their hearts, joyful things, sad things. Um, just in the past year in my own parish community, and there were many people gathered in our adult education this morning, I look out at my congregation and I see the number of widows and widowers just Mm -hmm. in the past year. Mm -hmm. And I look at them there, not only coming to the faith community, they're still serving in ministries. And and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is their first Christmas without husband or wife or Mm -hmm. child or whatever it is and the struggles that they're they're having while everybody's trying to make merry. And so there's so many different things going on in all of our lives, in our world, um, in our nation. Um, And so we're looking and trying to bring these things to God, and God is trying to move in our life, and yet we want to know the same thing Zachariah did. How how will I know this is God? Do I even dare open myself Mm. uh, to God? Mm. And so rather than a punishment, what I think is happening to Zachariah is he is given a season of, and here's our $50 word for the day, It's a gestational Mm. silence. Mm. As the child is gestating in the womb of Elizabeth, gestating in the heart and soul of Zechariah is silence and solitude so that he can work through disappointments, fears, anxieties, wondering, you know, what if I do this, if I let God in, is anything going to look any different Mm. 
than it did last week, the week before. Mm. And so Zechariah, I think, is inviting us into a similar time of of silence and solitude. And again, it doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to be like St. Simon Stylides and go sit on a pole out in the, out of the sand of the beach and, yes. you know, sit there for the next six months to wait for God to deliver a message. A couple of minutes, five minutes, ten minutes, um, adding a minute or two each week as we go through these. And no matter what's going on around you, how much activity there is, there there is always room for that. And so I think part of our invitation, what Zechariah invites us to do, is just to allow that presence of God, as we were talking about earlier, that that goodness of God, to just sit with it. Don't say anything about it. Don't mm-hmm. even, I don't hate to put it this way, but don't pray anything. Pray meaning like open your mouth and right. start you know, mm-hmm. going on and on about something. Just to sit and allow that presence of God uh, to be with us, to tap into that. And then I think in that silence, in that solitude, that's when things start to percolate. Because without that, um, one of my favorite lines uh, from a writer, and I use this repeatedly, I often tell people when I'm using this in missions or retreats or things like that, I said, if I had a dollar, for every time I use this expression, I'd be able to fund the entire Divine Mercy radio operation. There would be no need for any more radiothons or anything else. But anyway, the line comes from the writer Evelyn Underhill. And she once wrote, For lack of attention, a thousand forms of loveliness elude us every day. Mm. For lack of attention, for lack of awareness, mm. a thousand forms of loveliness elude us every day. For lack of attention, a thousand forms of God's presence are slipping by us mm. every day. And so if somehow during this Advent season we can learn from Zechariah and become more alert, more attentive, those are the what I call the passwords of Advent. We'll hear them this Sunday and every day coming for watch, be mm. ready, right. uh, you know, all these kinds of things. It's that can we be a little more attentive. And so I think one of the challenges I believe I'd like to offer our listeners for this first coming week of Advent until we meet again and meet another character next Tuesday is, can I make silence, solitude, real in these coming days in my life? Because for many of us, this is difficult. Uh, It's unwelcome. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some people would say, like, you know, I'm all alone now. I have lots of silence and solitude. It's not just about being quiet, keeping Mm -hmm. our mouth shut, although that's Mm -hmm. a big part of it. Mm. But it's about how to enter into a time that becomes uncluttered Mm -hmm. or even how to be more aware as we do all of these, you know, really fun and beautiful Christmas things. Go to Christmas pageants and sell trees for the Knights of Columbus and bake cookies and, you know, hit the marshals and all that kind of thing. We can do those things, I think, more attentively, Mm. being more awake. Mm -hmm. And in those moments, boy, we can, you know, see all kind of wonderful Wonderful things. I think that's one of the things to me Zachariah is teaching us. I've always thought about growing spiritually as waking up. And and I think that's what you've kind of been alluding to, Father. Another thing I thought about as you were recounting the story of Zachariah, I was envisioning Catholics entering the Adoration Chapel. It's kind of like, you know, you're entering into the, the very presence of Christ himself. And there's, for I think for many... 
there's very little expectation that anything significant is going to happen because, you know, you sign up for a specific hour of the day every week and you just kind of go and there's no expectation. It'd be wonderful. And I'm not saying that you're going to be visited by an angel this year, but there's still to enter the Adoration Chapel with a sense of expectation, as you were just referring to, to sit there and to be quiet and to envision not only the story that we just recounted, but that God also wants to come to us in a very special way. You know, whether it's during Advent or Lent or any time of the year, that God is so good that we do have the potential for life-changing experiences on any given day. Any given day. And that's the whole Advent, the coming toward. Mm. So, you know, yeah, we have to do our part uh, moving toward God, but we're moving toward the God who is always, always coming toward us. And so if we really believe that, then this God will show up in the Adoration Chapel, not just in the divine presence of his body and blood in the tabernacle, but is going to show up as coming towards us in the line at the Publix. Uh, while we're watching the kid crying because they want to go home and they're overwhelmed with the Christmas shopping, um, the, God is always coming toward us in the midst of all of these different activities, but we tend to, to be people of sort of little expectation. Mm -hmm. And so th this God wants to keep coming to us, but we, we have to be attentive and aware. I have always said many, many times that if you were to reduce the entire spiritual project, <laughs> spiritual life, to one word, it would be, take your pick, awareness, mm. alert, mm. being awake. Mm -hmm. It's all about that. Mm -hmm. And I think what sometimes happens is we take on all these sort of practices, uh, technicalities of the faith, and they they actually kind of get in the way at times of mm -hmm. our awareness because we're so distracted like, oh, did I do all those prayers? Oh, did I complete my hour? Right. Oh, did I, uh, yeah. did I do this or do that? And the mm -hmm. whole time God has been sort of knocking on the door. Hello, can you put that thing down for a minute? <laughs> <laughs> so, so God is always coming toward us. And yet in our weakness, how mm. can I know this? I think we can know it if we give ourselves that mm. space, that moment uh, to allow God to be who God is, and that is to be this, this wonderful uh, presence who loves us beyond our imagination. I think, too, you know, I guess this would be reading between the lines a little bit in the story of Zechariah. When he discovers he can no longer speak, initially, I'm sure he was quite frustrated you know, and I can't, and I know this is not in Scripture, but you got to wonder how he and his wife communicated from that point on. It must have been kind of an interesting relationship that they had. But again, as you read the rest of the story, once John is born, then the question is asked, you know, what shall he be named? And what's amazing is it took him those nine months and I'm reminded of how God is so patient with us. So initially, Zechariah might have really been frustrated, maybe even upset with the Lord. Look, I got great news to go home and tell my wife. Now I can't even talk in a sense. But over time, by the time John is born, 
he's able to scroll on a piece of paper what his actual name is, I think identifying that he now gets it, Mm -hmm. that over that nine months, he has woken up, so to speak, spiritually, and he is rejoicing in this wonderful gift, and it's at that point then he receives his voice back. Right. I mean, the scripture just tells us in sort of one word or one expression, you know, as he enters or comes out from the temple experience and people see something has happened and he's, he continues to be mute. It says he's gesturing. Yes. So <laughs> speaking about reading between the lines, yeah. I like to imagine. Did he like learn sign language or saying, something? <laughs> exactly. What kind of gesturing might he have <laughs> right, been doing right. that, that, uh, <laughs> that might not have been so holy maybe at the same time, just because of, again, being so overwhelmed by this. But again, the name is given to him in the vision. Mm-hmm. How can I know this? And so he does scribble that name eventually. But I, I think you're right. It's like it's more than just the name. He has now come to own what God is asking of he and Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. He has come to know what God has really done in their lives. And so that writing on that tablet, mm-hmm. the name John is more mm-hmm. than just a name. Yes, it is the whole sense that. You know what? I think I finally get it. Mm-hmm. And of course, like all things in with God, the next chapter is only yes. about to begin. So mm-hmm. I get it. And now who this child is and all the experiences that are to come afterwards, life continues to come mm-hmm. on and God mm-hmm. keeps this wasn't the one and only visit. Yes. Of this couple. Mm-hmm. It's continuing, you know, to go on. So Zechariah, it was a productive silence. Mm -hmm. And I think our culture, our way of living is somehow silence is a negative. It's wasted time or something. But Zachariah, I think, teaches a silence is incredibly productive. Well, Father Ben, stay with us. We need to take a break. On the other side of the break, uh, what we'll do is we'll talk about our next time getting together as we continue to look at the Gospel of St. Luke during the season of Advent. Well, welcome back to Treasures of Faith. I'm with Father Ben Berinti, and over the next four weeks, he's going to be joining me each Tuesday during this season of Advent. We just had a wonderful time to reflect on the story of Zechariah from Luke chapter 1. You can listen to this on our podcast, and that'll be up, I believe, within a few days uh, if you want to share with some of your friends and neighbors so they have an opportunity to be enriched during this liturgical season. Father Ben, uh, who are we going to meet next week from Luke chapter 1? Well, next week as we uh, move on in the story of uh, Luke and the preparation for the birth of Christ, we meet our Blessed Mother. We meet Mary. And her question, after her own experience of the presence of God, is how will this be? Mm. How will this be? And I think related to that then which she has to ch- is challenged by and our question that we're challenged by is is there room in my life for god mm. because we'll find as luke spins the tale of mary and her encounter is how can we make room for god and i think sometimes our you know sort of our initial uh, reaction is oh yeah I, I can make room for god but one of the things we see especially during this advent season is there's not a whole lot of room for many things or we're trying to cram many things into a short space so mary's question uh next week uh how will this be mm. uh, sounds a little similar to zachariah's but his was how can i know this mm-hmm. mary is going to say how can this be this this fabulous and fantastic event about giving birth to Christ. 
I think it's a question we ask too when God enters into our life. How, how can this be? How, why is this talking earlier about being surprised by goodness and embracing God's goodness? Sometimes that is our question is like, here's goodness coming into our life and how can this how can this be? So I'm looking forward to, um, you know, most people can't go away for a retreat this time of year, so hopefully we're providing for our listeners a little Advent retreat on the air each, each Tuesday as we explore Advent with Luke. Well, Father Ben, thanks for joining us. 